Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is uh, it's a delight to see all of you. Um, I do want to make sure that uh, everyone was able to get a bulletin. Uh, if you didn't, don't feel bad. If you need to walk out and get one, I will, it's totally fine. Uh, and I want you to have that because inside there's a blank space in there for you to take notes, draw pictures, anything to help you stay engaged. And so uh, if you want to go get that, you can. Uh, I also want to welcome anyone who's watching over the live stream, and thank you for connecting with us, uh, and also anyone who will be watching later in the podcast or listening later, and thank you for taking the time to engage, uh, engage with God and with us. Um, usually at this time, I would pray, uh, but uh, Jessica had a song. It's, uh, I am... Um, Yep, there we go. Here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that last one is the one we're looking at today. This blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, as someone who loves food and enjoys eating, this is a very helpful set of imagery that Jesus has chosen today. Um, I understand hunger and eating pretty well. Um, but even though I understand those things very well, and I think we often think we do, I want to break down these words because what I found uh, was going through these words, diving in a little bit deeper, uh, helped draw out some more meaning out of the text and also uh, my own receptivity uh, and wonder uh, in this. And I do want to say um, one thing, and I, I'm, not, I'm not totally sure what to do with this, and this is just a, an honest confession. Um, I'm really emotional this morning. I'm not exactly sure why. I've been kind of weepy all morning, um, and... Uh, it actually started last night when I was going through this uh, again and just kind of, yep, let's go through it, find if there's any little last-minute mistakes or anything I want to take out or words I want to rework. And I just was bawling, and I'm not sure why. And so I just want you to know this morning that, th that there may be times where that comes out, uh, and I just want you to be ready for it. Uh, so uh, not that I've never cried in front of you before, but uh, uh, who knows? I just, I just am not sure, so I want, I want that out there. Um, this first word that I want to look at, though, is the word hunger, and uh, it's the Greek word uh, pinao, and it means to hunger, which is, I always love it when it's lined up just like that, but it also has this idea of to suffer want, to be needy, and if it's just, yeah, I missed lunch today, so I'm kind of hungry, that's one thing, but when you add in this phrase of to suffer want, right, there, there's something else going on there, and it actually has, as its root word, kind of its origin word, this uh, idea of being poor. And so it has a feel of lack of something, something that's wanted or needed and, and something that is wanted or needed so bad that, and that the absence of it has caused some kind of poverty. The next word is thirst. And this is the word dipsao. And it means to suffer thirst or suffer from thirst. Figuratively, it says, those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their want of and eagerly long for those things by which they would be refreshed, supported, or strengthened. Now, again, when I think of thirst, I think of, oh, I got a little bit of dry mouth, or, oh, I worked out, I'm a little bit thirsty. 
But this word thirst here describes something beyond that. This idea that eagerly longing for the things which would refresh, support, or strengthen us. So we're not just talking about lacking something or or just kind of wanting something. Jesus is saying that some people have a longing for something that puts them out, shuts them down, makes them ache with want and even suffer due to their lack of whatever that thing is. And that's what we're going to talk about next, what that thing is. Because Jesus says that they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, the Greek word for righteousness here is dikeia sune. And in its broad sense, it means the state of him who is he ought to be. It's kind of vague. It's a condition acceptable to God. It has to do with integrity and virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Now, I kind of geeked out in this a little bit and got into all these root words. And really what a root word is is sort of the the origin word. So you have a word and then it kind of develops over time and it brings in some new things. But there's this root idea that kind of carries with it. Now, this word has as its root word... Dikaios, which in a broad sense means upright, virtuous, innocent, things like that. But in a narrow sense has to do with uh, judicial things, passing just judgment, um, whether expressed or shown by the manner of dealing with them or in, in, in words about them. And so it's this idea of, of there's an idea of just and balance that, that comes from somewhere. Now, the root word of dikaios is the word decay, which is all about a judicial hearing. All about the decision. It means to suffer punishment and has to do with avenging justice. And so there's this idea in there that there was something that went wrong. And part of this idea of righteousness has to do with making that right. Now, there's one more. The root word of decay is dyknuo. And it means to show or expose to the eyes. To give evidence or proof of a thing. So we have this multi-layered word. We're finding some deeper meanings in it. But I think Jesus actually has a way to get around it. Because we could try to pull it all together a little more and wrap it up in a nice package. Uh, But Jesus actually does this best. Because although Jesus' words here translated into the Greek, Jesus was Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish household with a Jewish understanding of righteousness. And I think that this understanding does a great job of pulling it all together. Because the Hebrew understanding of righteousness has its origins in uh, some words like something being hard, something being even, something being straight. And when we say hard, uh, what we mean is that it's stable, right? it's, It's hard to break something. It's difficult to break something that's really hard. It's got a lot of stability to it. I think of like... Uh, the floor underneath the building made of cement, right? That's very hard, and it would be hard to break that. There's a lot of ways that this word developed throughout the Old Testament. So we're going to take a little walk through the Old Testament and look at some of these. Um, It's often used for uh, weights and measures uh, when they are just and right. And so if we look at uh, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 15, it says, Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That, that phrase, accurate and honest, is the same as the word for righteousness. Okay? 
If we look uh, at Psalm 23, 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Again, this idea of the right path. The root word for righteousness is in that phrase. And so it's an idea of there's a path that is a good path. It's the right path. Okay? And there are lots of other times that this comes up. There are times when offerings are made in the proper way that the idea of righteousness is used. And there's also one in Proverbs 31, 9. Uh, and I'm just going to read it. And this is uh, uh, Proverbs 31, 1 through 9. It's the sayings of King Lemuel. It's about a king or a judge. Uh, it says, listen, my son, listen, son of my womb, listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That in verse 9, that speak up and judge fairly, that's again that root word that is from the word that means righteousness. So when a king acts justly or a judge judges fairly, that's seen as being righteous. So it seems that in its earliest uses, the word righteous as it developed has this sense of applying to a lot of different things and expressed in a lot of different situations. But there's this undertone of things being right, things being the way they should be. We would all say that a judge should judge justly. We would all say that a straight path is an easy one to navigate. Right, So there, it's this picture of things being the way they should be. And we move through the prophets. We see this prophet uh, named Amos. And he brought into this this sense of justice. In Amos 6.12 it says, Do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plow the sea with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. So now there's this tie of justice and righteousness right together. The implication here is that the religious practices of Israel needed to be accompanied by a social righteousness. That the fate of the personally guilty and the personally innocent are all involved in the whole of the people. Isaiah takes us a step further with this. Um, and he says in uh, Isaiah 1, 15 through 17, When you spread out your hands in prayer, this is God speaking, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. So again, we have this sense of it's caring for another. Seeking justice. Defending the oppressed taking up the cause of the fatherless. There is this tie in that idea of righteousness. So what then does Jesus mean when he says righteousness? I think Jesus means shalom. This word shalom is this, uh, it's this idea of everything being right, right? We hear it a lot that it's peace, um, and that is certainly a, a part of it. But, it. but it's really this sense that everything is connected and everything is right. And I have 
I was going to write this quote out, but it's a, it's a short video clip that's like a minute and a half long of this guy named John Stackhouse. Um, and, and I just want you to hear, it's one of the best descriptions of Shalom that I've ever heard. So let's listen to him for a second. Shalom gets my vote as the best word ever, uh, maybe short of uh, the name of Jesus itself. Um, the shalom is this wonderful Hebrew word that, that literally means peace, but it means flourishing. I think it's the closest English word we have for it. And it means each individual element flourishes, each person, but also each tree or each animal. It also means each of those relationships flourish. It also means that every group, every system, a family or, or a business or a school or a nation flourishes. And then relationships among all those groups, and between those groups and the individuals, flourish. And all of that in relation to the natural world, the rest of creation, and in relation to God. So it's this literally global idea where everything is what it can be. Everything lives up to its potential, and all those relationships are flourishing. So literally, you know, God created the world, and God wants it all back. God doesn't just want human souls to come up and, and live in a kind of heaven with him. He is looking forward to a new sky and a new planet, a new heaven, a new earth, that with a new humanity, a renewed humanity, to work out with him the best flourishing of this wonderful world that he's made. Flourishing. So I believe that Jesus is saying that righteousness in the world is what sets everything into this state of shalom. It's what puts everything right. So when he says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying that those who long and ache for everything to be set right, Everything in a right relationship with God, every person in a right relationship with each other, every aspect of creation in a right relationship. And this can come across in us in big and small ways. It can be global issues, or it can be in your neighborhood. Sometimes this hunger and thirst takes this huge, epic stage. Maybe it's really important to you that everyone around the world has access to water. That's a big, grand, epic scale. Maybe it's important to you that families not be separated. That's a big scale. We just recently celebrated Juneteenth, the day where we remember that slavery in our country was abolished, the office of it. It's a step forward. Someone had a huge longing and a huge ache to see things set right. And so we remember that, that first step. Sometimes it's relational. Maybe you've watched a friendship fall apart. Maybe you've seen families torn apart, siblings who are no longer able to be in the same space. And there's this longing in you, whether you were viewing it from the outside or part of it on the inside, that no one would ever have to go through that. Sometimes it's systemic. Our country alone is going through all kinds of issues in this area. Whether it be health care reform, Again, the issue I mentioned earlier, all the stuff going on with immigration. And it's, it's not even addressing which side you're on. But there's a longing for things to be set right. And sometimes it's personal. Sometimes there's a tension within yourself, your own personal demons, those temptations, those habits, maybe we call them sins or addictions, the propensities that we somehow keep coming back to and we keep asking, how did I get here again and how much longer am I going to have to deal with this? Do you hunger and thirst for things to be set right? Did any of those situations, whether it was the 
big global epic one or whether it was the relational one or the systemic one or the personal individual one. When I went through those, did something in you go, oh, yep, I know that. Yep, I remember that. I encountered this incredibly, with incredible intensity with, uh, with one of my daughters. Um, one of the, 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 the banes of my, both my daughter's life is uh, the lice letter. Um, or the lice email, I should say, that we get from the school saying, yep, someone in your child's class has lice. Uh, so get out the treatments, scrub, dig, pick through, look for, all that kind of stuff. And uh, <clears throat> both my daughters hate it, but one of them in particular really hates it. Uh, and so one night, we were, this is about two years ago, we were working through and digging, got the comb, and you got the special thing, and you're treating and all that. And, uh, and she was just in tears, just angry and frustrated, and, uh, and I was kind of coming to the end of my ability to, to kind of stay in that conversation, uh, and so, so I, I dropped the, the, the biggest mic drop card I have, which is, uh, which is the God card, and, uh, and, you know, why are there lice and blah, 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 and I said, you know what, God created them, so you take it up with him, and my thought was that <laughs> in asking that, she would go, oh, well, yeah, whatever that. And she instantly, she was like, why? Why did he do that? What was he thinking? There's no sense in that, Dad. That doesn't make any sense. They just sit in your hair and grow and dig stuff. There's absolutely no good. <laughs> whoa, whoa. It was one of the most passionate expressions of, I don't like this. I want this to be different. I want this to change. Something needs to be set right. I may not even know what it is. Early on in this series, we defined being blessed or receiving the blessing from God as God sort of saying, I am with you. I am on your side. So what we have here is Jesus announcing to all of you who ache, all of you who live in unresolved tension, who live in the absence, the lack of, who have a longing, a hunger, and a thirst to the point of pain and suffering for things to get set right, that God is with you. God is on your side. But notice it doesn't say when everything is figured out, that's when the blessing happens. When everything is set right, it says in the absence of, in the lack of, in your hunger and thirst, in your state of suffering due to that lack, in that place, God is with you. You are blessed when you were in that place because God is with you. That when your whole person craves shalom, like a body that craves food and sustenance, you are blessed because God is on your side. It's not a list of seven steps to satiate your hunger or to satisfy your thirst. It's not a nice teaching on how to get rid of hunger and thirst or that we should strive to do that. It's not how to get rid of it or what to Google about it. It's simply an announcement to all those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for all things to be set right in God's way, that you are blessed because God is with you. I've discovered in prepping for this that not everyone sees this passage that way. That's fine. There's room for disagreement. Uh, some commentators said 
that to hunger and thirst for righteousness means that we intentionally devote every aspect of ourselves, every molecule of our being to embrace, adopt, and become morally upright and without sin. But that would shift the announcement that Jesus makes to someone who hunger and thirsts for righteousness, but someone who is righteous. Blessed is the person who follows God to a T. Is that the announcement that Jesus gives here? Another commentator said that this beatitude is the most demanding and the hardest to achieve. So again, Jesus would see the crowd and sit down and say, hey, everyone, here's how it is. I'm going to give you a nearly impossible task. Some of you, the champions, you might get it. Everyone else, not so much. Is that good news? Is that gospel? Again, we think about the crowd. Some of the crowd there is Jewish, and Rome had conquered Israel and imposed all kinds of new rules and regulations, new tax rates, and many of the the people were losing their land, land that had been theirs for generations. So there are people who aren't able to work in the way they used to. The fabric and the culture of Israel is unraveling while this nation comes in and disrupts their economy. And so for them, does Jesus say, okay, okay, all the people who can now meet this level of achievement, you're good to go. But everyone else, no. Because if either of these is true, either of these different ways of thinking about it, if that's what Jesus has announced, what he's done is he's announced a new law. Another moment of good people are the insiders and everyone else, try again next week. Jesus announces here that God's blessing is with those who hunger and thirst, ache and long for the world to be different and for everything to be set right. Have you ever looked at the world and longed for it to be different, for it to be right, for this way of living that God calls shalom where everything and everyone is flourishing? And then you kind of snap out of it and say, well, that's a nice fantasy. Back to reality. God never does that. God is always working to bring righteousness and shalom to every aspect of creation. The the, the final piece of these kind of word searches is this word uh, to be filled. Because it says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Now, this word, uh, which when I first saw it, I thought it was chorizo, uh, again, tying into my food stuff, uh, but it's not even close. It's hartadzo, um, and, uh, and it means to feed with herbs, grass, hay, to fill, to satisfy with food, and to fatten. Side note, I think it would be awesome if Christians were a people who were fattened with righteousness. Uh, Anyways, uh, now, it would be easy to assume that Jesus is saying that this satisfaction is is, going to come at the the end of days, so to speak, that when uh, God shows up and makes a new heaven and new earth and everything's reconciled to him, there's going to be no more pain, sorrow, or death, that that's going to be this moment of, and now you're satisfied, now you're full. And that's certainly true, right? There's, there's an aspect of it that's true. Again, part of this group is made up of, of Jewish people. And if you remember, there's this time between uh, when the last prophet of the Old Testament spoke and when Jesus showed up. It's about 400 years where Israel doesn't hear anything from God. 
And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I guarantee you there's a part of that audience that's very captivated and saying, whoa, 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 we haven't heard from God for 400 years. Let me tell you about being hungry. Let me tell you about thirsting for something from God. And I think a lot of us, we get upset if we go for a few days without feeling a sense of movement from God. So Jesus is saying, this can actually start now. Because I am here. I am righteousness. Gather around me. Jesus seems to be saying, if you live in that tension of wanting the world to be different, and to look and be the way that God designed it to be, shalom, everything right, righteousness, if you live in confusing and difficult times and are struggling with your own self and the ways you screw up and relationships are hard, then God is with you. God blesses before the righteousness. It's like saying to someone who is hungry and thirsty for food and water, you're blessed because you long for food and water, and there's someone here who can help you. And then that person brings them food and water. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a different world, a shalom world, are blessed because Jesus has come into the world and is ushering in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of shalom. But here again, that God blesses the hunger for righteousness, the craving for it, the awareness that we don't have it, the lack of it. God's blessing falls on the have-nots, the ones who don't have it but want it. And for many of us, this tension is a hard place to be. It's a bad place to be. We believe that God will bless us when we make the right decision, when we become righteous or do the righteous thing. But that is an illusion. The counterintuitive, exuberant announcement of Jesus is that God is with you, God is on your side in the tension. God says, I won't wait for you to get it together. Let me come and join you in the tension and bless you in the tension. Jesus blesses us in the tension when we are hungry for change and thirsty for righteousness, for everything to be as it should be. Sometimes it looks like the decision to buy something. could be something simple. Maybe you're looking at buying a, a car or a piece of furniture and you're trying to figure out, mm, I could buy a really cool car with all the bells and whistles or that really nice couch with all the plush upholstery and everything and it's got the reclining thing in it or whatever or I could buy something that's more functional because I've heard that missions giving is down or it's around the holidays and I know that kids life and tutoring are going to be doing their fundraisers and not out of guilt but out of a general desire to help those ministries you consider what what do I do Maybe it's whether or not to give a homeless person food or money. Maybe it's do I volunteer for this organization or not. Maybe you have a, a friend who needs something. You're trying to figure out how to make that work. But in these sorts of moments where we get kind of paralyzed and we don't know what to do, I want you to know if you sense thoughts going down the path of, boy, I need to make the right choice and then God will bless me. Just know that God's already blessing you. 
in the unresolved tension of hunger and thirst. Because it's, it's our impulse that, that God's blessing is for those who have figured it out. They have the answers, who have made the right decision with the couch or the car or this or that relationship. But that's law. Law is rewarded based on outcomes, what we do. It's, it's economic. You do this, you receive this. You don't do this, you receive that. Jesus says, everyone who is lacking righteous and is hungering and thirsting for it, who can't resolve the tension and has this overwhelming ache, is blessed. Know that in your times of frustration, anger, or confusion, whether it be in that epic space, the systemic space, the relational space, or the personal, personal space, that God is not there speaking judgment or condemnation. He's not there giving advice or blame, but is speaking blessing, is speaking nearness and intimacy and love. Because that is the gospel. That God came into our mess into our confusion, into our hunger and thirst for things to be right, and met us there in Jesus. The beautiful, provocative, disruptive good news is not get it all together and then some amazing things will happen. It's not, but instead it's found in our not having it together, that God utters this divine assurance that I am with you. I'm on your side. And the blessing comes in the form of Jesus being with us walking with us, being near to us in those moments. In a few minutes, we're going to start wrapping up. I want to, I want to touch on one other verse from the Old Testament. This is from uh, Habakkuk. That's Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, and, and it says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And Habakkuk looks at the world around him and he's angry, frustrated, and confused. And he longs for something to be different. So he goes to God with this prayer and then God answers in a really non-ideal way, at least from Habakkuk's perspective, that really says, "Mm, actually what I'm doing is I'm raising up another nation who you don't like and they're going to do some things that you don't like. And so Habakkuk argues back, why? Why are you going to handle it that way? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? A quick aside here. There are people who are trying to change the world, but not in the way that God wants. And there are people who think the world is just fine. And I find that both of those groups, um, and I've been in those groups at times, uh, manipulate people, step on people, use people, and they swallow up others. This announcement is not for them, nor for us should we behave in this kind of way. Back to Habakkuk. I want you to know it's okay to have Habakkuk days, to shake your fists at the heavens and have to work things out with God. This beatitude of Jesus, of all the images he could pick, he chose hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who literally, physically ache over the condition of their own inner self, their relationships, the systems they live in, and the condition of this world. Jesus speaks to that despair, that longing and hunger, and says, I am with you even in that. These moments don't mean you're lost, whether you've lost faith or wandered off the path, or that you're all screwed up. 
It actually means that you've been made to care and you're in tune with that. The hunger and thirst for righteousness, for shalom, which can only be found in Jesus, is a sign that there's a certain way that you get it. I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come back up. Uh, and in just a moment, I'm going to, the worship team is going to play instrumentally and give you some space. On that connection card, I've got a couple of questions to ask in just a moment. Give you some space to, to answer those. Um, I, want to, I want to read this one last thing, and then I'm, I'm trying to weigh something here. So, um, uh, Rob Bell gave what he called an amplified version of this blessing, and it goes like this. Blessed are you when you ache because the world isn't how it's supposed to be. Blessed are you when you are at the end of yourself. Blessed are you when you get frustrated enough to throw up your hands and say, God, I can't do this. Blessed are you when you can't resolve the tension no matter how hard you try. Blessed are you when you run out of willpower, ideas, fortitude, and energy because it is that place, that space of pain, ache, longing, desire, awareness, that hunger and thirst it's in that place that Jesus announces, God is with you. One of the things that I, uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine, is uh, watching, because uh, I can't do the whole show, but watching little clips from, uh, uh, it's, it's America's Got Talent and uh, Britain's Got Talent. Um, and I mostly uh, watch uh, the golden buzzer moments, if you've heard of those. It's when, uh, you know, it's this competition. There's many stages. you got to keep competing week after week. But when an act comes on that the judges think, oh, they're good enough to go all the way, they hit the golden buzzer, and they get to, go, they get to wait until the last part of the show, the last part of the series to compete. And so they don't have to go through all the, the, the middle stages. Um, the thing I like about it is that, <clears throat> You know, you can see the judges, and, they, and they're sitting there, and they're listening, and they're engaged, and then they say something like, you know, and then they don't finish. They just go, I can only do this, and they jump up, and they hit the golden buzzer, and the crowd cheers, and all the other judges, they just celebrate together. They're like, look at how good this is, right? And they're so excited that that person got to do that. They're like, oh, I know you've been waiting for that chance to hit that golden buzzer. And I'm so glad that you got to do it, that you found the act that you believe in that struck that chord with you, and you hit that golden buzzer. And it is this huge celebration. They shoot confetti into the air, and it's raining gold down on people and everything, and it's this giant celebration. In the process of going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about being poor in spirit, and we've talked about mourning. Um, and I mourn that the church worldwide has allowed America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent and shows like that to be the voice that communicates to people your golden buzzer material. And I feel an ache in me that I haven't felt for a long time because I want something to change. I want us to change. I want the church to change. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for all that. I wouldn't be, even be saying this. But I think we've gotten into a place where we're constantly the judges who tell people, no, you're not cut out for this. No, you can't come hang out with us. And we've got all these 
rules, and lots of them are really helpful in ways, but they're set up in other ways that keep people out. We've got all these attitudes that aren't inviting, and yet we've got people who, who I want us to be excited every Sunday. I want to come in here this morning. There's some of the songs we sang. I can't even remember them now. But I was just sitting there, and I was like, oh, so good. Jesus is here. Jesus saved me. Jesus saved a bunch of people. He wants to save more, and I was just rolling in it. I was like, I need a golden buzzer. I need something I can hit that just shoots confetti into the air, and, and everyone can come in and be part of it. But I don't know how to do it. And I need us, I need us to grow. I, I want to be part of something that's changing in that direction. But I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I am hoping that we together can discover uh, what that is, to, to, to seek out what it means to be shalom in our world. Okay, thank you for letting me. I have some questions for you to think about. Uh, one of the four areas listed, epic, relational, systemic, personal. Which one do you find yourself the most hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Which one of those, when I went through those, kind of ticked in you? Maybe it's the, the, the big issue global thing, and that's where you find, boy, I got a lot of energy going into that right now, and that's where I'm drawn, right? Again, maybe it's you got some really close relationships or people around you that, that you're feeling that hunger and thirst for them. Maybe it's systemic. That could be at work. Maybe it's personal. Which one for you? Second, what things do you do that are an expression of that hunger and thirst for righteousness in that area? How do you see that being lived out? How does that longing play itself out in your life? Lots of ways that could happen. And third, have you found God to be present with you in that hunger and thirst? And how have you sensed that? Because Jesus really says... I'm the way that that's going to be satisfying. I'm the way. Jesus is our sustenance. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the water of life. I'm going to pray, uh, and then the worship team will play. You can take a moment to answer those questions, and we'll, we'll continue with a closing song. Jesus... Um, I stand here with my friends and family, feeling like we're on a, a precipice, feeling like we're on, on a fence of sorts. And I acknowledge and, uh, and, and, and honor all the things that we have done as a church that are in the direction of bringing shalom into this world. But I confess also where we haven't. I confess where we've turned people away, not to set things right, but, but for our own comfort or for our own, uh, just what we like and don't like. Uh, and I ask that you would help us to change. I ask that we would know that in these moments where we ache, whether it be about something else or about ourselves, that you are present with us, that we are not alone in that unresolved tension. Jesus, you yourself sat sweating blood in that tension. 
asking the Father, I really would like this to be something different. You know what it's like. I pray we would find in you a friend and a companion. And again, God, help us to be a place that uh, is a place that people want to be. Um, People want to know more about you through what you're doing in our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.